Let's jump right in, okay? Last week, we started this brand new series called How Sweet the Sound, and it's all based on that hymn that we all know and love, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. And we, we opened last week by saying, you know, His grace is overwhelming, and it's available to anyone and everyone. It, it really is amazing when you think about it, and it separates us from other religions, um, all over this world. And it's also something, if you're new to the Methodist Church, it's something that really is really central to Wesleyan theology. So well, we said, you know what, Let, let's take a few Sundays. We started off on, on Easter Sunday talking about the grace of God. And we said, you know what, let's just take a couple of Sundays and let's talk about God's grace. Because when you get down to it, a lot of times when we talk about the grace of God, it just seems too good to be true, honestly. And you know what they say about things that are too good to be true? Well, the saying goes, if it's too good to be true, more than likely, usually, it is. And we all know what it's like to get our hopes up, right? We get our hopes up about something, about a purchase, or somewhere new, like uh, just, for example, like a restaurant that just opened in town. Everybody's talking about how good this restaurant is, and you're like, man, that just sounds too good to be true. And then you finally get a reservation, and you sit down, and you take that first bite, and you're like, ugh, what were they talking about, right? This is not good. You know, it's just, it was... It, usually, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. Or that email, um, that email that comes from the Nigerian prince. Do you remember those? Do you remember those? How many of y'all, be honest, how many of y'all got taken by the Nigerian prince? Okay, nobody's going to admit it. That's okay. Um, but you remember, it's like, you know, if you just send me some money to get me out of jail, then I'll get my millions of dollars and I'll half it with you, right? And you're like, okay, sounds too good to be true. So, those things in life, that sounds too good to be true. It's no wonder that we're skeptical, right? We're, we've been hardened by a deceiving and manipulating world that just wants to take advantage of us. So here's where I'm going with this. When I talk about the grace of God and how good it is, how amazing it is, God's grace, that, that God loves us no matter what we've done, that God's grace is strong enough to cover anything in our life, any sin that we've ever committed or will commit, that his grace is so great that he gives us the strength that we need to keep moving forward in life, which is what we talked about last week. His grace is so amazing. His grace is true, and it's for you. It doesn't surprise me when, when I tell people that, that they hear what I'm saying, but they just don't really believe it. Because usually if it's too good to be true, it usually is. So there's a few reasons that I've run up on why people doubt God's grace and the goodness of God. And one of the main reasons is because we've all been wounded in our past, right? But we, we don't have a good track record with grace. We, we have hurts. We have uh, just painful moments that maybe we don't tell everybody or that we don't show, but they're still painful in our lives. Maybe we were even rejected by some people, by someone that was close to us, by friends, or maybe even an ex-spouse. And honestly, when we look back over our lives, maybe we didn't get a whole lot of grace. And that still hurts today. So this idea that a God that is loving and grace-filled, it, sometimes it sounds too good to be true because honestly, we, we don't have anything to go by in this. We haven't really experienced that type of grace because we haven't been given that type of grace. Another thing that kind of hurts this idea of God's grace being true and for you, of it sounding too good to be true, is because we believe what other people have say about us. 
right? That, that, that what we believe this image that other people paint. We, we don't believe in what God says about us. We believe what other people have said, and people have just been so negative in our life over and over and over again. There hasn't been any grace-filled comments about who we are. And so we have this broken image. Let me explain what I mean. Um, how many of you like to go to a state fair? Do y'all like going to state fairs? Uh, how many of y'all like me and you've watched too many Dateline and 2020s and you're never going to ride another state fair again in your life? Yeah, okay. Um, but in that state fair, when you go, there's usually a fun house, right? And when you go in a fun house, there are these mirrors. And when you look at a mirror in those fun houses, it distorts your image, right? You, you look in one, you're tall. You look in another one, you're short. You're, you're wide, then you're thin, and if you look in a distorted mirror, what you get is a distorted image. So with that in mind, maybe you kind of grew up with all these other people in your life not having a whole lot of grace, but when they looked at you, man, they really messed up your image. And you, you started to believe what other people were saying. Maybe you heard those phrases of you're, not, you're no good or you're so dumb or you can't do anything right. And then that just kind of morphed and it kept going as you became an adult, and they still say those things. They're still negative. They're still not very grace-filled. It's just that they say them in different ways, but it still hurts nonetheless. And it's really messed with your idea of what your image is like and who you are. So if we have a hard time accepting grace from other people, it, it, because we haven't really seen that kind of grace, or people have been upsetting to us and distorted our image, sometimes it's easy to see how we can get this messed up view of God. You see, I want to help you understand today. I want you to see God in a new light. And I want you to understand how he wants to bring that healing kind of grace into your life and really, really redeem your image. Okay, fix those broken places. Today, I want you to know that God's grace, it's true and it's for you. Look, look at what it says in Psalm. Psalm 147.3, this is where we're going to start. If you got your message notes open on the app, um, go there. You can follow along. If you took one of those pieces of paper, you can write this down. But Psalm 147.3 is where we're going to start. It says, he, which is God, he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. And, and let's, let's just be honest. We all have those broken places in our life that just feel like they're beyond repair. We have those places in our life that just feel like no grace could ever cover this area. It's just too messed up. And this is where I want to go today, okay? I, I want to I share with you one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Okay, and it deals with the troubled woman who finds herself in an awkward spot with Jesus. A woman that was very well known, and she was well known because of a broken image. She could not shake what she had done. In fact, I'm pretty sure she just learned to accept and live with this image that other people were giving of her. If there was anyone that was in need of healing grace, of God's grace, of, of just a, a renewed image, it was this lady. So I wanna, I wanna share this story with you that comes from Luke 7. And as we read it together, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna talk through it a little bit and explain a few things. So if you got your Bibles, you wanna follow along, it's in Luke 7, starting at chapter, um, chapter 7, starting at verse 36. And if you got your message notes open, it's all written down there, okay? And you can follow right along with me. And it starts off this way. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. 
So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. Now, let's just stop right here and let's talk about this Pharisee open up to his home for dinner. Now, now you know the Pharisees back in this time, these were the real churchy church type of people, right? And, And we often you know, characterize the Pharisees and the Sadducees as those people that had kind of written Jesus off, that, that were against Jesus. But honestly, there were a few that were willing to give Jesus a chance. So this guy's opening up his home. He's giving Jesus a chance, inviting him to dinner. Okay, and this wasn't just any meal. This is one of those formal fancy, keep your elbows off the table kind of meals, right? This is where you invite somebody and you, you pull out the fancy china, okay? So you got this amazing dinner happening. You got all the best people showing up. And then out of nowhere comes this party crasher. And things get real hairy. Verse 37, it says this. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he, Jesus, was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him, Jesus, at his feet, weeping. And her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So we've talked about the Pharisee. Let's talk about this woman that makes her way into this party. Okay, this, this phrase, immoral woman, uh, most scholars likely link this to being a prostitute. Okay, so imagine this fancy dinner and this woman, out of nowhere, lets herself in. She works her way through all the rude comments through all the glaring stares of everybody there. Again, distorted image. Everybody knows what image this woman has, okay? She goes over to Jesus, who is most likely seated on the floor because that's how they ate back then. The tables were low. He's seated on the floor. He's kind of reclining back. He has his feet out in front of him. And out of nowhere, this unwelcomed woman kneels behind him. And she starts to cry. And it's just awkward. Okay, I want you to feel like the weight of this moment. And I want to believe that she's there because in the past, she probably ran up on Jesus and Jesus forgave her sins. And this idea of a rabbi, of a teacher, of someone that that would associate themselves with the Pharisees and be invited to these dinners and someone that was so religious and, and just so high in this status, the idea that this type of person would forgive her, it means so much that she's heard where he is and she's got to go see him again. And this time she comes and she brings him a gift and she brings his perfume and she pours it on his feet. And the smell of the fragrance just begins to fill that room. And then, as if it wasn't awkward enough, she's, she's got this fragrance filling the room. She's crying. And then she, does, then she does something no one expected. She lets her hair down in front of everybody and begins to wipe his feet. A woman letting her hair down in public during this time was... How do I put it? it just, it was indecent. Okay, this was something that you only did at home, behind closed doors. Okay? Something, honestly, this woman was kind of known for. I imagine the guys were probably in the room going, I told you. <sniffs> yep, that's who she is. So imagine Jesus 
This is all happening to him. Like, what does Jesus do in this moment? Okay, the weight of this is huge. It is awkward beyond compare. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what to say to this woman who has a a broken image, who is broken standing in front of Jesus, and yet Jesus gives her grace. And he begins to heal that broken image. And what we find in this story is that healing grace when it comes to Jesus is that that kind of grace for us means that I'm acceptable. Here's your point number one. That kind of grace that we receive means that I'm acceptable in the sight of God. He's accepted me. I mean, think about this woman for a minute. How did she get past the bouncer? How did she even get in the house? I guarantee you, nobody wanted her there. And definitely the homeowner didn't want, me, want her there, right? And the other men in the house probably didn't want to look at her, have any kind of eye contact. She was not welcome. And Jesus doesn't reject her. He accepts her. And he pays attention to her. You see, because of God's grace... We're all accepted at the table. We're all welcome. Look at what Romans 15, 17 says. It says this, Christ accepted you, so you should accept one another. This verse doesn't say that Christ accepts you when. Like Christ will accept you when you do this or when you keep the Ten Commandments or when you go to church every Sunday, you know, or when you call your parents on those special holidays, you know, when you do all these things, then Jesus, no, 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 no. The acceptance that comes from God. And what's so amazing about his grace is that it's unconditional. It's based on God's grace and not your performance. You know, so often you come to churches and, and you, hear, you hear preachers talk about accepting Jesus Christ in your life. You know, like, have you accepted Christ? You should accept Christ in your life and allow him in to your heart and all that kind of, and that's great. Like, we should talk about accepting Christ into your life. Absolutely. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus has already accepted you? He's already accepted you. Without any conditions, without any strings attached. And honestly... Being accepted is something we've all want. It's something that we've all want. Ever since we were little, ever since we were young, we've wanted to be accepted. You know, we've all, we all know what it's like to want to be the first picked for the team. How many of you were like me and you were always the last picked when you were a kid for the team? Nobody else wants to admit it? Okay, I'm man enough, I'll admit it. I know that's hard to imagine right now because I'm so awesome, right? <laughs> that's not funny. Um, but it's true. A while back, and, yeah, and it didn't make anything better when my, when my best friend was the one picking for the team. I'm like, ooh, maybe now. Nope. Even though I'm praying in the back, I'm like, God, I will eat all my green beans tonight at dinner. Mom won't even ask me. Nope, still bottom two. Always. You know, whether... Whether it's being picked last for the team or not making the squad or not making the grades or being left out of an event later on in life when all your friends are going but you not. And then even as we get into adulthood, we know what it's like to not be accepted, to not be chosen, to be passed over for a promotion that we felt like we deserved. See, knowing we've been chosen and accepted it does something to us. Like, I, I still remember 
You know, how, how great it felt when the coach chose me to be a part of the tennis team. And then later on, later on when, when Shannon chose me and we were married. You know, it did something for me. And you know what? It still does something for us now when we're chosen for an award or a promotion or a special recognition. But you know what? Even better than all those things in life, we got to remember that the Bible says that we have been chosen by God. He chose me. He chose you. In fact, it says, even before creation, he knew you, he loved you, and he chose you. He chose you. You're accepted. Not because of what you've done, but it's all because of grace. It's all because of his amazing grace. And that's what we see in this story. She's accepted. Let's go to verse 39. So when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this happen, the Pharisee, the one who's in charge, the one who's house, he said to himself, he's thinking this, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And she's a sinner. So, so now we get into the mind of the homeowner and he's looking at the situation. He's like, he's beginning to question if Jesus is even really who he says he is or claims to be. Like if Jesus really was a prophet, then he would know what this woman is, who she is, this image that she, he ha- that she has, and he would put a stop to this. There's no way he would let this go on. And I love this. You can't make this, you can't make this stuff up. Look at verse 40. So Jesus answered his thoughts which is just terrifying to think. You're in the presence of Jesus and he had this ability just to answer what you're thinking and call you out on it. And I love this. He looks at him, he says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. He loaned 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither one of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both and he canceled those debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Now, to understand this story, you got to understand this is a lot of money. Just one piece of silver is one day's wages. So 500 pieces. That's 500 days' wages. That's, you know, nearly two years. That's a year and a half, right? 50 days' wages. 50. That's nearly two months. Out of those two debts, which one loved more? Verse 43. Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he had canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here in front of everybody. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with this rare perfume. Okay, let's pause. What's going on here? Let's bring this forward into our day, okay? If you were to invite somebody over to the house for dinner, there are certain customary things that you would do. You know, when they showed up, you know, you opened up the door, you would offer them probably like a big old handshake, you know, firm grip, or or maybe if they were close to you, you might give them a hug, you know, but then you wouldn't make them stand in the door frame, right? You'd invite them in. And maybe dinner's not ready yet, so you sit on the couch, you invite them in the den, you have this moment, you ask them if they want something to drink before dinner. There are certain customary things that we do to make sure that somebody, when they're walking in to our home, that they feel welcomed. Well, Jesus calls this guy out. 
because his hospitality has been horrible. In Jesus' time, what would happen is that you would offer guests something to wash their feet. They wore sandals. The, the, the road was dusty. This just makes sense. Wash their feet off before they come into the house. And then instead of a handshake, you would kiss on the cheek. And then for a special guest of honor, you would offer some oil to anoint the head. And Simon did none of this. It almost makes you wonder, did Simon even care? That Jesus, it almost makes me wonder if Simon is just doing this just to kind of get it out of the way. Like I just offered this, I just got to get this Jesus thing over with. So he doesn't offer any of these things. But this woman, this woman that everybody despised, instead of water for Jesus' feet, she uses her tears. And instead of kissing his cheek, she bends down and she kisses his feet. And instead of anointing him with oil, she actually brings in this perfume and she pours it on him. Imagine again that aroma just filling the room. So Jesus, what he does is he's basically getting onto this homeowner for not valuing his guest. And he looks at this room of everybody that's supposed to be all high and mighty in this place and he picks this woman out as an example. And in this moment, we find out that grace, grace means, number two, I'm valuable. I am valuable. God's grace shows me just how much he values me. Jesus holds this woman up in front of everybody, and he's like, even she is valuable to Jesus. You and I are valuable. We're valuable because of God's grace. We are worth something. In fact, do you know what makes something worth something? Do you, do you know what makes something valuable? Here, I got two things. What makes something valuable? Number one is who owns it. Okay, number one, who owns it? Let, let's just say if something was owned by a celebrity, then whatever it is is worth more than if I owned it. You know, like if I were to try to sell these sneakers, I'd get nothing for them. But if those sneakers were owned by Michael Jordan, right, They'd be valuable. They would be worth something. Number two, the other thing is how much people are willing to pay for it, right? How much are you willing to pay? So I brought something. I brought a couple of baseballs with me because one, I just bought this. It's just a Braves baseball. It doesn't have anything on it. Now imagine if I were to take out a Sharpie and I'd write my name on it. How valuable would this be? I'd, it would probably decrease in value, right? If I put my name on it. Now imagine if I've got these three baseballs and I'm trying to sell this one. And then I've got one here by Austin Riley, okay, and one by John Smoltz. How valuable do you think these are? A little bit more value. What, what makes them so valuable? It's because of what people are willing to pay for them, right? So look at this. When it, when it comes to our lives, let's apply this to your value. Number one, who do you belong to? 1 John 4, 4 says, but you belong to God. When you come to Christ, when you're accepted by him, guess what? You are brought into the family of God. All of a sudden, you are his. You belong to him. You are his possession, and that means that you're priceless. And then number two, let's apply this to you. How much, are you, how much was Christ willing to pay? It says this in 1 Corinthians. You have been bought and paid for by Christ. You know, a few weeks ago, right before Easter, we celebrated Palm Sunday. A day that we're reminded that Jesus triumphantly rode into Jerusalem, fully aware and fully prepared to pay the penalty of our sins by dying on the cross. That's how valuable you are to him. 
If you want to know just how much you're worth, Jesus opened up his arms and he died saying, I love you this much. You're that valuable. Number one, you belong to God. Number two, Jesus paid an extremely high price to be with you. That means you're priceless. Let's finish the story out. So Jesus is still using this, this sinful woman, this immoral woman as an example, and he continues teaching in verse 47. So let's catch back up here. He says this, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, <laughs> okay? Jesus acknowledges this. He's like, yes, I know who she is, and I know, yes, we're all on the same page. A lot of sins, okay? They have been forgiven. So he's speaking in past tense here. So maybe they did meet before. Jesus had already forgiven her once. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. Then Jesus looks at the woman and says again, your sins are forgiven. The grace of God, it also teaches me that I'm forgiven, that I'm forgivable no matter what. Think of the crowd in that place that day. No one willing to forgive this woman. The load of that guilt, it not only weighed her down, but it put pressure on the host, Simon, to do something. She's standing in this room doing the unthinkable. That her sin in this moment has just, has just left this stench that has ruined the dinner. And when no one else would, Jesus is the one, the only one that it gives her grace and that forgives her past. And in this moment, he teaches that room filled with people who should know better the full impact of God's forgiving and healing grace. Isaiah puts it this way about God's grace and God forgiving our sins. God says, I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because of who I am. Stop right there. This verse doesn't say that God forgives us because of who we are, that we deserve it because of what we do, or because our sin is not really that big of a deal anyway. No, 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 no. It says that his forgiveness comes because of who he is. It's based on the fact that he is God, and that means that he is a loving and grace-filled God. And then if you accept that grace, that verse continues and he says this. He says, I will not hold your sins against you. That grace covers all your sins, past, present, future, paid all. That healing grace covers every broken crevice in our life. And that's good news. That's great news. You know what I love about this story? I love the fact that it doesn't have an ending. I mean, it kind of does because people get really upset. Anytime Jesus forgives someone, there's a lot of commotion about it and people talk about it. So they kind of talked about that. But we really don't have a whole lot of closure from this. And every now and then we get one of those stories that just kind of leaves it open. I mean, after this party, like, what happens next? Does everyone leave the building? Does everybody just leave that room thinking, I'm not hungry anymore? Like, like that totally just ruined my appetite, right? Or did they get it? Like, did they celebrate what Jesus had done? Does, does it turn into a big, like a big party? Does somebody walk over to the radio, turn on Sweet Home Alabama, and Jesus is like, turn it up? Something like that happened? I, 
I would hope so. Was Simon changed? Like, did he learn something about himself? Did, he, did the other people in that room who should have known better, did they realize what it was like to give that type of grace to someone? I think we can all agree that that lady left feeling pretty joyful. I believe that she was changed because of that moment forever, having received that kind of grace from Jesus. But I think that the real reason it's kind of left open is for self-reflection. What about you? How will you respond to the story? Is God's healing grace something that just sounds too good to be true? I'm not really sure about it. Because some of us have major hurts. Some of us don't have a good image of receiving a whole lot of grace in our life, and so we don't know what that kind of grace looks like. Or, or, or we've just accepted all the negativity that have come in from others, and we have this broken image. Do we understand that God's grace is true and it's for you? That his grace can redeem your broken image? Or are we willing to view other people with the grace that God has given us? Does it change how we see other people? Because if I've received that type of grace, that kind of grace that makes someone acceptable, valuable, and forgivable, if that's been given to me, then I should be giving it to others. I want you to know that God offers that type of grace in your life. And honestly, it's too good to be true, but it's true nonetheless. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you can heal broken hearts. That you can do something with the bitter memories and the, the, the damaged self-esteem that we have. That your ability, God you have that ability just to turn a, a nobody into a somebody. Jesus, I just pray today that you would touch hurting hearts and hurting minds with your healing grace. And if you're here this morning or you're online this morning, you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, then just, just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I, I really don't understand everything, but I thank you that I've been accepted by grace. And today, Jesus... I accept you into my life. I want to know your purpose. I want to know your purpose for me in this world. And I want to have a relationship with you. And Jesus, I just pray, I pray for everybody in here that still struggles with painful wounds. God, help us, help us to see ourselves, not based on a past image or what other people have said about us, but God, help us to see our lives, how you made us, God, in the, in the image that you have for us, God, we thank you that we are acceptable, God, no matter what we've done, that we're valuable, that you're willing to pay a heavy price by dying on the cross to be with us, and that we're forgivable, God, that, that your healing grace, it covers our sins no matter what we've done. So as much as we know how, Jesus, we, we just want to invite you into our lives, into this moment. God, just to control every area of who we are. And God, not only that, but I just pray that this would be a church that would give grace to others. God, that we would be known for the grace of Christ. 
That type of grace that changes lives. That type of grace that when we give it, it proves that you're real. That type of grace that helps other people know that they're acceptable, valuable, and forgivable. God, use us, please, to be agents of change in the world around us. God, we love you so much. We have every reason to thank you for the amazing grace that you provide. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.